You're listening to the New Hope Church podcast. To learn more about what we're doing on the south side of Indianapolis, you can check us out online at becomehope.com. If you like what you're hearing here, be sure you check out one of our companion podcasts. We have a daily devotional podcast called Let's Find Out Together, as well as an apologetics podcast called Salty Saints. Let's listen in. Today's talk comes from Zach Killian. Good morning. My name's Zach. I'm one of the pastors here at New Hope. And, uh, you know, I love a little bit of crowd participation. You guys may have noticed that over this last chunk of, what, a year or so. Um, and I got a little game for us today. It's, uh, it's everybody's favorite game. It's called Name That Tree. I thought very long and hard about the name. Uh, but I, I want to ask you guys, I'm, I'm going to show you a picture and you're going to tell me which tree that is. And I think we're just going to do like, uh, sides of the room fighting each other, if that sounds good with you guys. Uh, but so what's this first tree? That's an apple tree. Ooh, that's a tie. That's rough. Uh, 500 points, both sides. That was good. Uh, okay. So that's an apple tree. That's pretty good. What's the next one? I heard it over here first. That's 500 points, House Gryffindor. Um, what about this next one? Cherry tree. That's the booth. The booth is coming in hot. That's good. That's good. Huh? What? Yeah, they definitely know what they are. That's not fair. So we'll give it to you anyways, because this is a stupid game. But let's try again. This one's Indiana edition. Ooh, yeah, I think it's over here. Was it over here? You know what? She's confident. I'll take it. Our winners. Congratulations. Hey, Zach, why are we playing stupid games? Well, um, because Jesus loves talking about plants. And I know that's so weird, but it's so true. And so you have to think like, over the course of the Bible, there's a lot of plants. Like there's a lot, a lot of talking about plants. And the question is why? Like why does Jesus talk about plants? Why so many agriculture references? And I think the first reason is because everybody knows how plants work. At least kinda, right? Like even little kids. I remember when I was a little kid, like coming home from preschool and they sent us home with a plant because we talked about how plants grow. Like we talk about it from the time we're little because it's kind of like a basic concept. You put a seed in the ground, you give it some good soil, you give it some water, you give it some light, it grows. And sometimes those plants have fruit. And you know what? Fruit is delicious and kids love fruit. So they have to ask that question sooner or later, right? And so my question to you is, how did you know what all those trees were? By the fruit. You knew what the tree was because of the kind of fruit that the tree grew, right? So that's it. That's the first thing, is I think Jesus is like, eh, it's important. Everybody understands plants. That's a good metaphor. Here's the second reason. Jesus lived in the desert. And I don't know if you guys know a whole lot about deserts, but they are not widely known for being full of water and or food. It's kind of a barren wasteland. And so you see a plant in the middle of the desert. And what do you think? Hey, there's water there because water grows plants. Two, maybe that plant has food on it. 
So plants are like this symbol for life in the middle of a desert. And I think that is why Jesus leans so heavily on these metaphors, or at least that's a big part of it. And so Jesus is going to talk to us today about plants some more. We're going to jump into John 15, 1 through 17. And uh, just to give you a little background here, he's been talking with his disciples. In fact, this is one of the last conversations Jesus is going to have with his disciples before he is crucified. And so this is what he says. I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. In fact, in the Greek, it doesn't say produce much fruit. It says be full of fruit. You will be, it's the word plethora. That's where we get the word plethora from. You will be fulfilled with fruit, right? Um, For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my father. I have loved you even as the father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. The NIV says that that a servant does not know the business of his master. Um, Now you are my friends since I've told you everything the Father has told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my commandment. Love each other. Love one another. So, That's a lot to unpack. I say we jump back to the top and ask the big question. Why a vine? Why? Why a grapevine? Why that? Why that thing? Here's the other weird thing. This is the seventh I am statement of Jesus in the book of John. He has made six other claims to who he is to explain himself, to explain his personality, his purpose, what he desires. This is the seventh. That's important because in Hebrew, seven is the number of completion or a number of completion because it shares the same amount of syllables as the word for completion. So that's why God creates the world in seven days. And this is now happening that Jesus is choosing as his seventh and final statement about himself that he is the true vine. Why that? We have to jump over 
to Isaiah 5, 1 through 7. Um, This is also found in Psalm 80, but they say almost the same thing. So I'm just going to read Isaiah uh, 5, 1 through 7. It says, Now I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a rich and fertile hill. He plowed the land, cleared its stones, and planted it with the best vines. In the middle, he built a watchtower and carved a wine press in the nearby rocks. Then he waited for a harvest of sweet grapes, but the grapes that grew bitter, uh, but the grapes grew bitter. Now you people of Jerusalem and Judah, you judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard that I have not already done? When I expected sweet grapes, why did my vineyard give me bitter grapes? Now let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will tear down its hedges and let it be destroyed. I will break down its walls and let the animals trample it. I will make it a wild place where the vines are not pruned and the ground is not hoed, a place overgrown with briars and thorns. I will command the clouds to drop no rain on it. The nation of Israel is the vineyard of the Lord of heaven's armies. The people of Judah are his pleasant garden. He expected a crop of justice, but instead he found oppression. He expected to find righteousness, but instead... He heard cries of violence. So he's talking about Israel. Israel was supposed to be the vine. In fact, if you look at Psalm 80, the one thing that I like that it adds is it says that he actually uprooted the vine from Egypt, and then he went and planted it. And so it's like, yeah, it's, it's Israel. Duh, it's Israel. And so what's Jesus claiming here? Jesus is saying, Israel has failed. He's saying God expected Israel to be this beacon of life and light and security, second chances of goodness, that they should point back to God, that they should be a beacon of truth. And Jesus is saying they failed. They failed you. They have failed. It's not just Jesus saying it. It's Isaiah saying it. It's the Psalms saying it. They failed. And now Jesus is standing here and he says, but I am the true vine. And before that, he said, I am the bread of life. And I am the light of the world. And I am the door of the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the true vine. Jesus is saying, I'm the guy you've been waiting for, and now I'm here. I think that's a big part of what Jesus is saying here. Now, this is the part where I'm going to interject my own personal opinion, and you can take it, or you can leave it. Understand everything I'm about to say, totally secondary. If you want to argue with me on it, that's great. I love it. I hope you do. But... I'm going to try and prove my point because I think I'm right or I wouldn't be saying it. And I think it irons out a few wrinkles. I think Jesus is doing something that Jesus does over and over and over again. I think Jesus is pointing us back to the Garden of Eden. The reason why I think that is because Jesus is always taking it back to Eden because Eden was when things were good. Eden is what Jesus is always pointing back to. And he's like, oh, you want to know what God thinks about marriage? Well, let's go back to Eden. What did he say there? 
He always brings it back to Eden because that's when things were right. And so here's my question to you. Do you know what God said when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden? See, they were, they were supposed to never eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? That's the one thing they couldn't do. They were allowed to eat from all of the other trees, including the tree of... Yeah, there it is, the tree of life. They're allowed to eat from that one all day, right? No problems. And so when they sin, when they break his one commandment he's given them, what's he say to the heavenly host? He turns around and he looks at the sons of God, the angels, the beings of heaven, whatever you want to call them. And he says... Man has become like us. They now understand good and evil. And we can't have that. So we have to cut them off from the tree of life so that they don't live forever. Because God didn't want his people living forever in sin. So he cut them off from the tree of life. Well, here's the point I'm trying to make. I don't think that's literal. I think it is figurative language. I believe that Jesus Christ is the tree of life. A little weird. But why is that weird? Jesus loves figurative language. If you just paid attention, I said, Jesus said, I am bread. I am a door. I am water. I am the, the good shepherd. I am the way and I am truth. Jesus says, this is my body, but wait, it's bread. Jesus says, this is my blood, but wait, it's wine. Jesus is not shy with figurative language. Jesus likes using imagery to explain who he is. And I find it very odd that you take all those instances of I am's, I am's, I am's, and what is the last one? I am the vine. And what happens if we stay close to the vine? We produce fruit. And he is the author of life. Here's my second reason why I believe that this is legitimate. The Bible is not a story about people being separated from a magical tree. The Bible is a story about people being separated from God. Nowhere else throughout scripture are people going, man, I just can't wait to get back to the tree. You don't see that. You see people going, God's abandoned us. God's left us. Why has God left us? And God's going, why won't you just come back to me? I am the author of life. I am the one that gives life. Why won't you just put your faith in me? I believe the tree is a picture of Jesus. Maybe it's literal. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But I know that life comes from Jesus, not from trees. So here's the deal. We look back at Eden and we see Adam and Eve in the garden. And what do they get to do? They get to eat from the tree of life, right? And that's cool. They get to partake in the fruit. But what happens in John chapter 15? It's huge. Jesus says, you are the branches of this tree. He says, I am the true vine, and if you abide in me and I abide in you, then you are branches, and my Father will take you. And if you produce fruit, if you're truly in me, if you're truly abiding in me, you will produce fruit. And when you do, he's going to prune you. I don't know if you know what that means to prune a branch, but it means to cut the branch in ways that it will produce even more fruit. 
God is going to work on you and he's going to make you stronger and better and better able to produce even more fruit. We are co-workers with Christ now. Jesus is saying, you went from the people that get to eat the fruit to you're part of the family business, folks. That's super interesting. And the reason I know Jesus is saying that is because right after he goes into all this language about this, he says, you are my friends. I'm not calling you servants anymore because servants don't understand their master's business. But you're not just servants. You're my friends. You're children of God. You're brothers and sisters in Christ. You are part of the family business. So what's the family business? Make fruit. What kind of fruit are we making? You guys know the fruits of the Spirit? They're fun. Can anybody rattle it off? Do I have any middle schoolers in here? No? Bingo. Love it. Yes. We got uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Life. It's life. God is using you as an agent of life. He's saying, if you're really connected to me, if you are in me and I'm in you, this is just who you're going to be. It's going to blossom out of you. It is going to pour out of you in abundance so that the people around you get a taste of that. And when they get a taste of that fruit, they're going to want to know where it came from. And so then you look at them and you say, oh, that didn't come from me. I can't do anything on my own. The only reason I can do any good in this world is because of Jesus Christ. And he is the tree of life. And you can be a part of that too. You can be a branch in this tree. You can be a part of this system. You can be a part of what's going to change this world. And he's called us to that. What is cooler than that? God doesn't even need us. He didn't have to make us, and he wants you to be his business partner. That's a huge deal. The flip side is not so huge. The flip side is not so great. Jesus says, if you say you're in me, but you don't produce any fruit, you're a dead branch. And my father is going to come along and he's going to cut you off and he's going to throw you into a pile and you're going to wither and you're going to die and eventually you're going to be burned. And that should scare all of us. And you might even think like, well, are you saying this is works-based salvation? And the answer is boldly no. The answer is a, transform, a transformed heart will bear good fruit. Let's think back to those trees. How did you know those trees? Because of the fruit that those trees bore. Jesus is giving you a very simple system. He's saying, when other people look at you, when you look at you, you should see some remnant of Jesus Christ in you. If it's not there, you should be asking yourself, do I really believe this thing? Did I ever really believe this thing? Because Jesus says, the answer is no. Here's the good news. If you find yourself in that position, you don't have to stay there. There's only one sin in the entire Bible that's never forgiven. Do you know what that sin is? 
It's the sin of choosing unbelief. It is the sin of willingly never repenting, willingly never going to God. That's what happens with the Pharisees. Even when they see the miracles of Christ, even when they see his goodness, they can't accept it. If you find yourself in a position where you're going, I just don't think I've ever had any good in me. No better time to start than today. Ask Jesus to forgive you. Ask Jesus to work through you, and he will. And more than that, he says anything you ask in his name, he will give to you. Now, there's a catch there. That doesn't mean you're going to go get Ferraris and billions of dollars. That's not how that works. It means that when you're part of Jesus, your brain starts to think like Jesus and your heart starts to feel like Jesus and your actions start to look like Jesus and the words you speak start to look like Jesus and the things you ask God for start to look like the things God wanted in the first place. And he will always give you those things. Here's the deal. We're not servants anymore. We're not nobodies not when we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. The moment we do that, we are brothers and sisters in Christ, we are children of God, and we have joined the family business. And business is booming. So let's go make it happen. That's what he's calling us to. Go and tell the people in your life, go live the life that Jesus has called you to, and it will show those people the life that you've been given through Jesus Christ. And then invite them to come do the same. That is what we're doing. And that's beautiful. Believe and live. It's been the message this whole time. It's been the message for 2,000 years. It's been the message through this entire series. I don't think I've changed it once when I've been up here. I kind of like it. It's just, yeah, it's the same. There you go. Just do it. (laughs) Go and believe in Christ. That belief will change your life. Your life will then reflect that belief. People around you will see it. And if they love God, if God works on their hearts and they accept him, they will live too. Here's the other thing. It's not going to be a cakewalk. Jesus goes on in the next verses to say, listen, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. And if they hated my message, they're going to hate your message. So there's going to be a lot of people that aren't for this, guys. But Jesus says, but I want you to know that I overcame the world. I did it and I'm in you and you can do it too. And that's what we have to move forward knowing. Believe and live and tell others the same. Thanks for tuning in to the New Hope Church podcast. If you would do us a favor and like or subscribe on your favorite platform, we would really appreciate it. Also, if you happen to have any questions, feel free to reach out to us at questions at becomehope.com. Have a great week and know that we are praying for you as you seek to be Jesus in every corner of your world. Oh,